Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to another episode of uh, I Know Right, uh, our podcast uh, for recruiters and uh, their myriad of interests. Today, we're taking on a weird subject um, that is getting weirder, and that is the landscape of drug testing. Um, I probably used to get five recruiters a year calling me and saying, my candidate called me and said he went to a wedding this weekend. He doesn't usually do drugs, but he did this weekend, and he wants to know how he can avoid the drug test or skate by it, and there's panic, right? That used to happen a few times a year. Now it's happening a few times a week where someone goes into the Ask Danny function uh, of our website and says, hey, um, they're drug testing my guy, but he's got a medical marijuana card, and they say they don't care, and it's all changed so much, and it's not just recruiters. Um, I think it's fair to say that uh, this is no longer the red, white, and blue of America. It's the red, white, and green. Here's what's happening. There are nine states currently that have recreational marijuana laws, and then if you add D.C., uh, which is in a state, um, that's 10. So that's 20% of uh, of our country has a uh, a recreational marijuana law. There's another 30 states that have medical marijuana. 64% of Americans favor the legalization of marijuana, uh, and that includes Republicans. Last year, marijuana legal marijuana sales was $9.7 billion in America, and that is up 33% over 2017. So clearly, uh, things are changing. And things are changing dramatically. Um, so to help us uh, sort this out, we have a drug testing expert, uh, Tom Fulmer, who right now is a VP at a company that's called National Drug Screening. Um, he's been in the industry for a long time. He's done a lot of speaking at conferences and a lot of consulting on this subject uh, near and dear to my heart. He's also got a tennis background, my favorite sport. So, Tom, thanks for joining us and helping us uh, figure this out. I think the first thing recruiters uh, really want to know, if we're going to be perfectly honest, is how the hell do you beat a drug test nowadays? <laughs> that's a great question. in the old days you were told in the old days you were told drink water for three days and flush it out is that a old wife's tale is that even possible yeah that that's um that's not really going to necessarily happen you know what people have to understand is you know with marijuana it, it's a, a, a very interesting thing so that's kind of different than some of the other drugs there yeah because um, marijuana can stay in your system for 30 60 days you know even after use but that's not going to be after like a single time use that's after recurrent ongoing regular use so those one time, you know, smoke the smoke the joint or something, that's not likely going to show up in most drug tests. Uh, but that, that so, oh, that's pretty, interesting. So when that wow. person tells us, I just went to a wedding and I smoked pot for the first time in 27 years, and then he flunks a drug test, he probably didn't just do it at the wedding, is what you're saying. That's absolutely correct. That yeah. is 90 percent wow. likely that that's the case um, in that particular situation. Oh, there's so many candidates I want to call right now and yell at them, but I appreciate that. Let's, let's start with this, though, Tom, because I find this fascinating that it seems like if, as I just cited these statistics, if, if, if the country seems to be becoming more tolerant of drugs, if if marijuana has become, you know, my parents' generation of a cocktail after work, it would seem like then drug testing would follow suit and there would be less drug testing. Like we're more tolerant now, so nobody cares. And yet it appears to us anecdotally as recruiters that more companies than ever are drug testing and therefore are less tolerant. So 
what has been your experience as someone who's in the business of selling drug tests? Are more companies drug testing? And if so, why? Yeah, there are more uh, companies drug testing these days, and, and there are a couple of different factors in that. You know, one is the, the prevalence uh, and expansion of marijuana and it becoming more socially acceptable, whether it, you know, it, it really has the impairing effects or not, which it, you know, it still does have those impairing effects. But we also have other things that are driving that increased amount of drug testing, which is the, the opioid epidemic that we hear so mm-hmm. much about. But it's not just that. It's, it's the driving factor behind that is opioid uh, become less accessible through prescriptions and through repeat prescriptions, that actually drives more of the illegal drugs, um, such as heroin and, and things being cut with fentanyl and some of those other things. So there's a lot of different factors that are driving that. So, you know, even though we're seeing, you know, we're seeing more drug testing, it's not specifically related to marijuana and the prevalence of marijuana. There's a lot of factors in, involved in uh, in that expansion. Yeah, I think that's something that uh, my uh uh, my own people, my own personal recruiters in my office and the recruiting industry in general, we automatically assume that these drug tests are to get marijuana. But in reality, um, they're they're testing not only for opioids, but for the hardcore drugs, the harder drugs, right? I mean, that's really the Correct. concern. And that's where most of them still have their main concern. And, and here's an interesting fact in there is marijuana has been in that schedule, it's still schedule one. As long as it is, it's going to be in that basic panel. So a lot of people are testing for that basic panel, but there's a lot of companies also adding those additional prescriptions, you know, as we go forward. And, and we do have some companies that are looking at and considering medical marijuana and marijuana, and they're being forced to by certain um, you know, court rulings and state laws. I mean, there are certain states that do not allow uh, an employer to take an, an adverse action based on, you know, somebody with recreation, I mean, with uh, medical marijuana, if they have a legitimate medical marijuana card. It's still not a prescription, but there are certain state laws that are creating that. And then there's other legislation in other states that are saying that employers can uh, prohibit the use of medical marijuana in their workplace. So we have a lot of competing state laws that also compete with federal laws and compete, compete with the way the employers handle situations. And one other thing that right. goes with it's very interesting is there is no standardization in the THC levels or the impairing effect medication levels uh, of THC between or marijuana between states. So the marijuana that out there today is, is extremely much more potent than what was you know, around in the 70s, you know, early 80s. Now, see, that was I was wondering if that was a, a, you know a, a people who've read my memoir know that you know uh, I grew up in the early '70s, so, so there was no way you could be a high school kid and not uh, try drugs in the early '70s. Um, but I've been out of that for decades. So when I hear that the THC levels are, I've heard a hundred times in certain strains more powerful than the stuff that I smoked in high school. I'm like, how could that possibly be? I was comatose. How could you be a hundred times more comatose than I was in the seventies? But you're saying you're saying it really is true that the THC levels are are that much stronger, or at least vary that much. Yeah, they do vary. They do vary greatly, and they vary between the smoked uh, marijuana as well as edibles. Edibles are becoming much more popular. You know, in fact, you had you know uh, Coors Molson uh, partnered uh, up in Canada to release a, a THC drink that's a non-alcoholic THC drink. So just think, you know, that is obviously not here in the U.S., but, you know, anytime they're creating right. something somewhere else, that's going to bring things over, and that adds a whole other level of complexity to things. So those levels right. do greatly. One thing, though, with medical marijuana, there's usually certain levels 
that are allowed minimum levels, and they're usually a bit lower than what an you know would be considered any kind of impairing effect. So that's being done on the medical side, but not on the recreational side. So there's you know some things that employers have to consider regardless of where they are. They really need to be considering um, handling medical marijuana, whether they're accepting it or not. It's a choice, but they need to be looking at it regardless. Right. And you can imagine how frustrating it is at the desk level for a recruiter who's sending a candidate in on a job because, for example, we we, uh, we have a, a deal going on with New York State. And New York State, and it sounds fantastic, frankly, to me, New York State has what they call the Compassion Care Act, um, which basically treats medical marijuana as a disability. Um, and it says, you know, it's part of their approach to human rights that, you know, if you need medical marijuana, and and I think people don't understand, I mean, there's a lot of people that say once marijuana becomes a pill, it's going to be used for, uh, and the stigma is gone that you're not taking a drug in the same way that you're smoking pot or using a bong, um, that it, it could like be the arthritis drug 10 or 15 years from now, and maybe New York's law is at the start of that. But if you're a recruiter, you have to, you can, you can sense our frustration of New York may have that great law, the Compassion Care Act. But the federal law uh, doesn't recognize that. So that's where it becomes difficult for a recruiter to know. Is it fair to say as a, as a sweeping thing, and you would know this because these are your clients, these companies, it's within a client's right to say, I don't give a damn what the state laws are. We don't like, name it, drinkers, people that take Vicodin, marijuana people. I don't care if it's edible. I don't want people who do that here. They're within their right to test for that and to use that as a reason not to employ regardless of your, quote, state law, marijuana card, that's within their rights, correct? Um, actually, in many states, that is not. Um, really? Interesting. It would, like it, it would seem like that would be the case. And, you know, my belief is if you have a company, you know, you should be able to determine some of those things. However, the states yep. and the courts have ruled that's not the case in certain circumstances. So basically, if you're testing, say, for let's, let's use something kind of comparable where they throw this in there these days where you know, marijuana is like alcohol. There are definitely some differences there, but let's just look at it from that perspective. Um, you can test for alcohol as current impairment, but you can't terminate somebody for drinking unless they're impaired on the job because it's something that's legal, just like you can't for a right. legal prescription. You cannot terminate them from that. What you can do is if they're functioning in a safety-sensitive position where, you know, a momentary lapse in judgment or attention span could cause, you know, environmental damage, death, great bodily injury, those kind of things, that changes the dynamic. But if somebody's just sitting in an office doing paperwork, there's not really that danger of that happening. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of variables that go in that. And there are certain state laws that specifically state if someone has a medical marijuana card um, that they can't be terminated you know, due to testing positive for that medical marijuana. The problem comes right. in here, though, is that sometimes you can't distinguish between the two easily, and you also can't test for a level of impairment. And these states are passing laws that just don't make sense, and they are not in line with current capabilities. So in other words, if you smoked a joint five minutes ago and you're driving a forklift and I, and I test you, it's probably not going to show up. It's very likely not right. going to show up unless maybe I did an oral fluid test. Uh, but even if it does, I can't necessarily prove that you're impaired. I mean, it could have been right. something they smoked the weekend, and, the, and then maybe they're not impaired right now. So that level of detection and, and level of impairment determination for drugs is just not there like it is with alcohol. So, yeah, so let's get wonky for a second as far as the capabilities of drug testing. Because 
like anything else, when recruiters aren't sure, they, they just start making stuff up, right? And and they'll tell candidates, oh, they can't test for that, or that's only 12 days or four hours. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of capabilities do you guys have? In other words, you mentioned that some companies might be um, cap- uh, okay with a level of medical marijuana or a level of recreational marijuana, but is the test simply pass-fail that you you – you failed and you have some sort of drugs in your system that are in this spectrum of unacceptable social things? Or can you, as a drug testing company, do you offer products where you can say to people, look, based on your level of investment, we can do, we can specifically say, you know, he had no cocaine, a little bit of alcohol and some marijuana. I mean, how specific do you get? And can you send me a test that says, you know, depending on your level of comfort, Mr. Employer, I would say this person is a unimpaired recreational drug user. How sophisticated, I guess, is my question, are today's drug tests versus, say, 10 years ago? Well, they're very sophisticated. The, the big thing is, is with validity testing uh, along those lines. But what you're talking about there is there's, a, there's what's called cutoff levels. So essentially, if I have less than a certain amount within my system, and that does vary by, by drug test panel, there's some pretty standard levels, but then you can also do um, some other levels. So if anything that tests below that level, it's going to report out as negative, even though it detected possibly some hint of that drug. So the, hmm. the level that you're testing for is very important, and that varies too depending on, you know, when you talk about recruiters, a lot of time they're trying to do point of collection testing. You know, they want that really fast turnaround result. So depending right. on the level of of that particular um, cup or device that they're using, that may have a positive or negative where maybe a lab-based test might be different. Or if they send it in for confirmation testing, they might get a different result than what that initial test was. You know, and one of the hmm. things we see with staffing companies quite often, or recruiting or recruiters even, is they are using instant test products, which there's no, no problem with that if it's a good product, but they're taking the positive test and then acting on that per maybe an employer's instructions. And that's a mistake. Everything should be confirmed at the lab. And the employer should really have made considerations for any kind of testing of what they want to test for because they do have some choices in there. Um, And then when when you're talking about for marijuana especially, you know, it's not that necessarily medical marijuana in and of itself should be protected. It's that in all of these states, medical marijuana is allowed for specific debilitating diseases or categories of diseases. So what mm-hmm. essentially happens, even though they could terminate somebody for marijuana use, when somebody says they have a medical marijuana card, what they've essentially done is disclose to an employer they have a debilitating disease. So ADA doesn't apply to, med- to marijuana because it's a Schedule One drug. However, right. when, they've, when they've let the employer know they have a debilitating disease, now that could possibly come under ADA issues. And it could you know, be a need for accommodation. And employers should really be looking at that and addressing that accommodation issue, you know, especially when we're talking about marijuana, not so much with the hard drugs because those, you know, those are ones you don't want people on heroin or cocaine or meth, you know, working for you. I mean, they're just, you know, there are some messed up uh, consequences that come from those. Whereas with the marijuana, there are considerations maybe that you need to take into account for that. Well, what about disclosure, uh, Tom? In other words, can you drug test before making an offer? Do you have to disclose that? Do you do you recommend to your clients tell these candidates that, you know, a drug test is part of the process to save time or do they see that as tipping them off? What's what's the ethics or the legalities of disclosure? 
Okay. So whenever they're, they're offering a job out there, drug testing should be disclosed as part of that. Uh, you want people to understand, you know, what's going on and what's going to be expected on them. You really shouldn't be testing, you know, pre-offer. Um, that really should be a, a post-offer situation at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things that, you know, we get a lot of confusion on and, and people do kind of their own thing at times. But most right. drug testing, in some states, it is it's required. It's going to have to be post-offer depending on, on the situation. Uh, but mm-hmm. definitely that should close up front so that the the applicant understands, you know, the process of what's going on. They understand they're going to be tested. And in fact, you know, employers that are that are coming in and adding drug testing now that maybe haven't done it in the past, in most states, they're required to give a disclosure of 30 to 60 days to their current employees if they're going to do testing on them. And they have hmm. to, just, and they're required by certain state laws to pre-disclose that drug testing is part of any job uh, job offer. So those are, those are things they really have to account state by state to some degree. It's always a good idea right. to predispose. And do people, I mean, obviously we don't get involved in this because once we play somebody, it's it's no longer our, our bandwidth, but um, what percentage of your business or how common is it for companies to have ongoing testing for current employees? Do they yeah, do so that? That's, that's an interesting question, and absolutely they do. Um, some wow. do random t- because they're required to by federal law, which overrides all of these things we're talking about, because then it's, it's obviously federal with your you know, pilots and uh, truck drivers and uh, captains yeah. of ships, those kind of things. Doctors, um, I'm but, assuming, yeah. Well, yeah not, even, not doctors, they aren't, they're not going to fall under the federal testing, but they might fall under certain board requirements uh, or licensing requirements, you know, as far as that goes. But as far as random testing, that varies state by state as well. So, for instance, in you know California, you're typically not going to do random testing unless you can justify something literally as a safety-sensitive function. And that comes down to how you write your job descriptions and writing them so that they make sense. You know, again, somebody sitting in an office typing on a computer, there's not likely that's going to be a safety-sensitive function. However, if they were dispatching emergency medical personnel um, and, and emergency situations, that might be considered a safety-sensitive position. So really, the ones that are doing it, it's typically going to be a safety-sensitive position of some kind, whether it's on the federal side that random is, testing is required, or if it's not, and it's just um, a company that has a warehouse that people are driving like forklifts, or they're crane operators, um, or they're driving company vehicles, or they're transporting, say, maybe five to t- ten passenger vans, you know, taking seniors to locations. Those might fall under a company policy because... Uh, they want to make sure that those people are paying attention. They have the most chance of uh, not not uh, creating some type of injury or accident out on the highways. Right. And I'm curious, too. Um, I just created this policy um, just because I just thought humanistically it made the most sense. If We don't drug test current employees, um, but if there is a substance abuse issue, and, you know, I've been running this place for three decades. There's been a few. Uh, we, we offer... Um, Rehab. We'll say we'll send you to rehab, and we'll invest in you. And then, and then, if that person recovers, great. And if it keeps happening, then unfortunately, we, we sometimes uh, have separated from those people. Do do large corporations who who random drug test are they legally bound, or do you find them just in general ethically they they offer some sort of rehab, or if we're going to random drug test you, we're also going to give you some probationary period where you can recover, or is it really how they separate the wheat from the chaff and it's one and done? What's been your experience? 
Yeah, Danny, that's a, that's a great question. And that's something we do recommend that all of our employers, whenever we're talking to them about that, they, they take into consideration. Some of them just want to be flat out. If they're on any of these things illegally or illicitly, they're terminated. There are some that are like yeah. that. There are quite a few other ones, though, that do have a, a second chance agreement. And that essentially involves the, the rehab portion that you're talking about, giving them an opportunity to go through a process to where they can come back and be part of that. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, yeah. you and the recruiter all know how much you're investing to get good people and get people trained and, uh, and how much you invest in your, your people, especially if somebody wants to get help and you help them do that. Yep. Now, yep. some companies actually pay for it. Other companies say, hey, it's on your own, but the job is here. You know, this is the this understanding that we have. If you do these things, then you can come back to work for us. So we do see that um, see that quite often. Uh, and we're working with drug-free workplace policies. That's one of the discussions we always have with clients um, yeah. about putting that chance. And one other piece of that is we also encourage them to have is an employee assistance program, something that if an employee realizes ahead of time they're having issues, that they can reach out proactively to get help. And having those resources is very important because if somebody does make that determination, they're not likely to tell a supervisor or manager because they have to report it to the company. That's, that's part right. of their job. So right. they need to have a, a, some way to reach out and get help on their own to, to deal with the situation before it comes, becomes a problem. And then, of course, the substance abuse professional process or second chance, that comes in basically after you know, someone has uh, been tested and come back positive for a drug test, something like that. So there's kind of two components to that, to providing, you know, um, uh, a good options for your for your team to stay employed. Right, right. And, and, and I get how cynical HR people must get because the recidivism rate is obviously high, but, you know, people make mistakes, man. When I read about this opioid uh, epidemic, it, at first I was like, how does some middle-aged, you know, mother or father end up on heroin. And then if you read these stories, it's always, well, they had knee surgery and their health care got taken away because they lost their job and the, and the doctor wouldn't give them any more pain, pain pills so they could buy heroin on the street. Um, and, you know, people, I think, often say that could never happen to me. Well, right. be careful with that statement because Pain is a powerful thing, you know, and uh, I think we'd all be shocked at what we'd be willing to do in order to put an end to pain. Yeah, I think you're ex exactly right there. And there's another component people don't realize. I mean, that's kind of the stigma side of things saying, hey, they moved from opioids to, to you know, whatever illegal drugs that went beyond that. And, and that does happen sometimes. And other times it's that they just don't realize the effect it's having and the dependence it causes because all of these drugs, including marijuana, it does change brain chemistry. It changes, you know, changes how you feel about things and, and it changes your motivations. It changes your behavior. All of these things do, and they vary by person. But there's one other aspect of that we also have to consider too. The, uh, the person who had, who had a prescription, say they went to the dentist and they had a prescription for, you know, Oxycontin for a few days or whatever, and they never filled it because their wife also had a prescription. They take that wife because they say, why well, fill the prescription when it's the exact same thing? So they take their wife yeah. instead. Now they test positive on a drug test. Well, guess what? That's actually illicit use. It's going to come back as a positive result because the medical review officer, right. the physician, can't verify it was their own prescription. And so there's situations that, that there really shouldn't be a stigma, but that sometimes are from a recruiter standpoint or from an employer standpoint. When they make those assumptions, 
when sometimes it literally is just a mistake that people just didn't realize. They had a valid prescription. They just didn't fill it. And they took a family member's medication or something, even if it was the exact same thing. So you have yeah, those kind no, of I, I get it. lack of awareness. What about um, recruiters often uh, are asked by candidates, what type of drug testing? And then, you know, you Google it and you see that there's urine and blood and hair and saliva and sweat. And, oh, my God, it's like, are there differences right. between these these types of tests? And, and if so, what what are the ramifications for recruiters? Is one test like, oh, my God, that's the scary one that's going to get everything? Or is one sort of, like you said, the instant test isn't going to catch much? What's What's the spectrum there? Yeah, it, it really is just different. And, and it's look back period is a big portion of the different specimen types. So, for instance, if I went out to uh, to my car and I smoked a joint, snorted some cocaine and came back in and they said, hey, we just selected you for a, for a hair drug test. I'm good. I don't have to worry about it unless I did it seven to 10 days ago. And if I did it seven to yep. 10 days ago and before that, it's going to go back 60 to 90 days. But it's not going to pick up that last five to five to seven or eight days. Uh, an oral fluid test is going to pick up within hours. A urine test is going to right. pick up more hours up to, you know, five to seven days or potentially longer for you know, marijuana for a heavier user. So it's really detection windows vary greatly. Um, and and what's most the most common test that companies use? I mean, what's the one that we're, we probably aren't aware of as, as recruiters, but what's the one when we send our candidates in for a drug test, what's the most common thing they're doing? Most common is still going to be a urine drug screen. Uh, right. That's going to be that's been the gold standard for years. We are seeing more and more companies, especially like a, a safety sensitive companies doing hair testing because they're looking yeah. for those patterns use, even though it doesn't give you immediate impairment. Remember, any consumption of illegal drugs or illicit drugs is typically a violation of a company's drug free workplace or safety policy. So they're looking yeah. back that time. We are seeing more and more recruiters using more of the instant tests, um, either with a urine drug screen. Um, which again is that five to seven day kind of look back period or three to five day look back period. And then uh, we are also seeing more use of the oral fluid devices. And there's downsides of each of these. For instance, if I did a an oral fluid test, a urine drug screen and a hair test on the same person, each one of those may test positive for different things because the way they test it is slightly different. The cutoff levels may be slightly different and the detection times are definitely different. So there's a lot of variance in there, but urine is still probably the, the most prevalent we see a lot of hair testing for substance abuse. We see a lot of hair testing for court-ordered testing. Uh, we're seeing more of the, inst the uh, oral devices for um, employers to doing post-accident or reasonable suspicion because they're, they're actually suspecting somebody's currently impaired. So they're using those because that's such a short detection window. It picks up from something they maybe I used 20 minutes ago up to the last you know, four or five hours. And that's really what they're looking for. So it just depends on what the employer's goal is as to which ones of those they're using. Right. And I was kidding, obviously, at the beginning when I said how, how did our candidates be drug tests, but I would be curious what, with all your experience, your advice would be to candidates who are entering a job uh, uh, search and have some sort of recreational drug use. What, what would you, you know, you met somebody on the street who said, I'm concerned about, you know, I'm going to interview next week. What would you tell them? Uh, how would you tell them to approach it? What should they do? Uh, Tell yeah, companies I, up front, stop, obviously stop doing it. But, you know, it's like telling uh, telling people with, with sex education that abstinence would be the best choice. Well, thank you very much, but that's not going to work. What, what would you tell a candidate? Well, really, besides besides just saying you, you, need, you need to stop the use if you want to find yeah. out, you know, if it's 
system, you know, take a drug test on your personal test. People don't realize you can right. take your own personal test and it's still private information. It'll never be disclosed to anybody. So that's one mm. of the things that, that you know, they can really do to figure Great out advice. show up. But the thing is, a lot of these uh, a lot of these people out there that are doing things, they're thinking, oh, well, I can just take a product or like you mentioned earlier, try to drink a lot of water. Right. There's a lot of products out there and, and these are out there being promoted heavily by a lot of people say, oh yeah, I passed my test because I did this and I mixed these things together. What people don't realize is those are mostly affiliate marketers. They're selling products mm -hmm. to get paid, not because it's going to help right. them pass the test. And right. the, the level of specimen validity testing that's done these days, like with all the testing we do all has specimen validity testing. So if anybody's sending it to a lab-based test, they can test for adulterants, they can test for substitutions, and any of those things are going to come back as a refusal to test situation. There's also things that collectors do to make sure people aren't cheating the test. Like there's a reason they check the temperature the way they do. There's a, there are certain procedures they have to go through when they're collecting. So if somebody's just trying to, to cheat the test, it's going to be somewhat difficult to actually do that other than changing what your behavior is if you're really wanting that job. Um, there are employers, like I said, who only test for certain things. Um, and, and if you're doing something that they're not testing for, it's never going to show up anyway. You know, so if somebody's testing for open and as part of a panel, they may be testing for heroin, codeine, and morphine, but they're not testing for hydrocodone, you know, the Dilaudid, the Lorset, Percocet, right. Lortab. Maybe it may not be testing for those. Would you agree with this proposition? Here's what I've been telling people for years, and I'm, I'm curious to know whether I've been giving good advice or not. Just anecdotally, my experience has been, obviously, especially if a company really wants a candidate, if if a candidate is honest with us and says, you know, I just want you to know I'm not going to pass the drug test because I smoke marijuana or I was at, you know, they do that. I was at a wedding, blah, blah, blah. If we go to a company before the drug test and say, hey, this guy doesn't want to waste your time. He's being upfront. You got to give him some credit for being honest. He's going to flunk that drug test. Um, we've seen many times recently with a relatively large insurance company where they were like, appreciate him telling us as long as it's just marijuana, we're fine. Um, have you found that? In general, it's true that companies will make exceptions for people being forthright and honest and that they tend to play more gotcha when you pretend to be pure and, and clean and then they catch you with a negative drug test. Have you found that to be true? Um, I, I have found that some companies are very upfront about that, that they're really, really not concerned. And they're the usually the ones who will start off saying, hey, we want to test for this. If it tests positive for this, we're really not too concerned about that. That in our policy, we don't we don't care. Uh, that's been very few companies. Most of the companies yeah. that, uh, as far as my experience has been and what I've heard I, again directly from them or anecdotally, is disclosing up front is doesn't get them very far. But again, it depends really? on the industry. It depends on the knowledge of yeah. the company. It depends on knowing what the company's policy is. Um, it depends on what the position that they're applying for. Sure. Uh, that, and that's very different because we've actually had some companies that said, hey, we really don't we don't want to test um, um, for marijuana in this job description category, uh, but we do want to test for that plus expanding things in this this particular job position. But they right, actually right. I group job positions, which as long as they do their policy correctly, they can do that as long as they're testing consistently, you know, across like a specific job or job category, something like that. And we have seen that's that. That's interesting. Um, so they're basically saying, Okay, this job is so damn boring. I get high if I were him too. But this other job, we expect him to be clean. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, that's understandable. Yeah. But I get how they have to try to be more consistent and take more of a we test everyone or we test no one approach. But 
I get it. I think this one, here's what's so, the reason why I want to talk to you is because it's so fascinating to us that there's never been a hotter job market. There's never been more, um, more, I guess, motivation for a company to look the other way with drug tests. And right. yet, there's more drug tests. Um, and I think that's partly because they have more capabilities and it probably costs less like everything else does than it did 20 years ago. And because as you say, there's the hidden cost of hiring somebody who's incapacitated or not performing to high standards because they're, they're not sober. Uh, it's a, it's a mixed bag, but it's, it's interesting to me how regardless of how many states uh, go forward. And it looks pretty clear, right? It's, it seems like it's hit a tipping point. And that'd be my last question to you. And, and I appreciate how generous you've been with your time. But as somebody who's been in the drug testing business while this has unfolded, just emotionally, just as an observer, um, does it concern you that it seems like we've hit a tipping point and five years from now, it looks like almost all states will be okay with recreational drug use or are you concerned that it's going to be a gateway and 10 years from now it's going to be you know retail stores selling heroin what, what do you, what's your overall sense of do you fear this or are you like everybody settled down it's no big deal well the concerns i have are, are slightly different uh, than kind of what you posed there it's yeah. not so much that we're moving toward and, and investigating the medicinal properties of marijuana and that it may become more prevalent it's the way it's being done uh, is creating a lot of issues that are going to cause us problems for decades to come. And as you look at the difference, the, the completely difference in state laws, the way it's being handled, um, the court decisions that have been uh, made for that, it's creating a lot of different problems out there. It's also keeping any kind of consistency uh, in the in the like for instance marijuana this this is the push to legalization uh, any consistency in that which creates some problems within the testing uh, it's yeah. also yeah, I mean there's also other factors uh, in that that this really should be done a little bit differently if that was the push but this is being pushed by a lot of people and, and if you look at the driving factors behind this in many states it's being pushed by a few people with a lot of money that are creating a marketing campaign to try to get this legalized for business opportunities. If you look at the attorneys behind this in almost every state, they're also the ones that are the ones setting up the, the marijuana businesses. They're, what they're doing is they're creating, creating uh, opportunities and they're putting a lot of misinformation out about marijuana that's on the positive side and there's a lot on the negative side that's misinformation as well. And so those are all competing factors uh, that are there. And there's some other organizations behind the push that are trying to legalize all drugs. And that really right. is going to create some problems. You know, whether you agree with it or not, there's, there's no question that the drugs that are out there create mind altering effects. They change the brain chemistry. They, they, they change things. Otherwise, why would anyone do any of them? So no there, are some there are some dangers to that, whereas there may be some additional benefits as well. But those dangers are keeping the actual uh, helping portions uh, pushed to the side. They're actually creating a barrier to that, not actually helping it. So yeah, what, what we're seeing point, there's going to have to be some changes to bring that back into line to, to get where we need to go um, to address this. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Yeah, it's amazing how fast things change, too. It's, uh, it, it, like I said, this landscape was so different uh, just a few years ago. Anyway, Tom, I so appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, as we see this unfold and as these things uh, 
uh, start to change. Um, I hope you're open to another conversation where we can uh, we can update this. Absolutely, Dane. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it, and I hope uh, everyone right, listening Tom. to it got some uh, some interesting information for it. Oh, they sure did. Thanks so much, Tom. Bye bye.